Welcome to Love Babs Love Talk. I'm Babs Rolls Ivy. It's around nine o'clock. So you know you're up for some mayhem and mischief. <laughs> and a whole lot of other ish mis- mismatch in between. Let me tell you, I got guests at uh, 1015. I'm very delighted to talk to these folks. Um, y'all know um, uh, Professor, I had, I had them on before. Well, I had him on before for another uh, conversation. Professor Thomas Allen Harris, who is uh, the professor in practice at Yale Film and Media Studies and African-American Studies. And uh, filmmaker um, John Cesare Goff. Um, and they're coming on to talk about the film After Sherman, which uh, uh, has something to do with um, the shooting in Charleston, in the Charleston church. So they're going to come on and talk about this film. And I'm delighted to have them on. Um, so that we can hear more about it um, and to uh, walk walk through the talking of um, where people are now and what this film is about and what we hope this film will do. So that's 1015. But for now, I'm on. I hope, Harry, you are well. Thank you, Nora, for sitting in. Paul Bass, I hope you're feeling well. I hope everybody's just feeling well. <laughs> it's a big gala weekend coming up, if y'all don't know. Um the Arts and Ideas kicks off Friday night at the New Marcel Hotel. I'm so, so interested in seeing what that space looks like. Like, I'm really interested. And then the next day, Saturday night, uh, the Jamaican American Connection is having their gala on Saturday night at the Omni. And uh, I got to tell you, the Omni makes some good damn Jamaican food. I don't know. I don't know if people know that they they can order what they like, but K K has went over there and got those people gathered about Caribbean people. <laughs> and uh, when we were the last time before the pandemic, that food was so good I wanted another plate. That's how that's how good it was. And when you see Jamaican people eating other people Jamaican food that are not Jamaican, you know it's good. <laughs> you know it's good. Um, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, uh, I'll be over at Bloom um, to ha- have a conversation with um, Brian I. Muir, the photographer. He's got a book out uh, celebrating the 60th anniversary of Jamaica's independence. Um, I had a lovely conversation with him yesterday. Lovely, lovely conversation with him yesterday. So I'm looking forward to uh, meeting him in person, getting a book, getting a sign. And then hopefully making my way to South Florida someday to see the museum. You can see it online. Um, islandspace.org, I think. Islandspacefl.org. I think that's what it is. Uh, you can get down there and uh, take a look at his his gallery that they're doing. I, I love when people across the diaspora are doing cool things. So, so yeah, so so that's the weekend. There's uh, uh, an event going on for Alita on Sunday, too. Y'all know uh, Alita, um, the do, do, uh, Donian of, uh, uh, of arts. She is our empress of arts here. Um, and so they're doing, uh, they're doing some fun stuff. Um, Saturday night, Friday, Sunday, Sunday evening around five. Uh, I got, I got the, I got the a gazillion calls from Rafael Ramos about it and a text. <laughs> so, 
they're doing something for Alita at Bergamos on Sunday at 5. So I hope people can go and uh, check it out. I think once I leave Bloom, I'll run over to Bergamos and, um, and you know, just get it in. I actually like the Bergamos space. I, I really like that space. It's like in the cut over there in Fairhaven. I, I like it. Um, it's it's just a cool kind of space. So so if you have time and, uh, and you know, you, you, you don't got nothing to do on a Sunday evening, get over there and catch it and check it out. Um, I, did I hear that uh, Bob Stefanowski was in New Haven yesterday? <laughs> Trump trumping for like, was he looking for black folks? Like I'm I'm somebody help me understand what the hell was he doing so was he making the case that new haven doesn't get enough what well, i i'm just trying to understand what his motivation was because if if he's gonna hold to this this trope of well I, I used to live in new haven i was raised in new haven yeah but you don't live in new haven now and i would i would imagine that you and your people were about the white flight that you saw too many black people moving into spaces that you weren't comfortable with and you ditched i i could be wrong I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just know that I hear you were here. And did people know he was coming? I don't, I don't know. So I don't know what the message is. I don't know. I don't know what you want people to take away. I Listen, white people, you got to come with a little something better than you know something about New Haven. You got New Haven roots. I mean, you know, the only one that can really pull that kind of stuff is President Biden with that whole Scranton stuff. Right? Because he actually goes back and... He actually still lives around where I mean, he's still connected to that. I, I I don't know if Bob Stefanowski is is connected to New Haven. Maybe with them damn payday loans that he used to hustle. I I I could be wrong. I, no shade. If I'm wrong, I own it. Somebody let me know if I'm wrong. So maybe that's his. That's the closest he's come to, you know, poor people in a long time. Um. Um payday loans, hustling payday loans, you know, that, you know, you get a loan and you pay it back by payday at like 8,000% or some old mess, you know, very, very, um, organized crime, like <laughs> no shade, no harm, no foul. Just say, just help me understand. So anyway, he was here yesterday doing something, talking about something. I don't know. I, I think Bob Stefanowski, I think you, you you need a you need a real if you're gonna run for governor you got you got to run on something other than the story of you pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and your people were poor I mean I, okay <laughs> you white <laughs> you white what what kind of story is that <laughs> the fact that you can walk in any place and get a loan with with very very little backup is I I. I don't understand. Who are you talking to? And you're rich now. So own that part of it. I don't know. And then these Johanna Haynes, anti-Johanna Haynes ads. I, I don't understand the point of those either. Like, oh, you, 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 I, I'm trying to understand what mess are they in? These little four white people that they got talking that she put them in. Help me understand this. Help me make it make sense. So I, I, the, what are they accusing her? She's one woman <laughs> in a sea of legislators. I, I'm just trying to, 
as far as I know, Connecticut leadership at that level has been pretty damn good. Congressional leadership at that level has been good. I mean, we got Blumenthal, Murphy, Hines, her, I mean, Rosa, I mean, we got the, we off our bench is good. Like we got, I mean, I'm not going to call them the Chicago Bulls of 94, but damn, they're pretty damn close. Like who, who are these people targeting these ads to? I don't get it. These ads need to be smarter, but, but we are in this era of dumbing down. And there's so many of them. And I, and I, I never before understood the power of these ads until I understood that people in and of themselves are politically lazy. So they're not going to go in. There's some that are, but a handful. Most people, they get this stuff on the fly. And so they, they make their decision based on what they see in these ads. Nobody is doing due diligence. So I get how these ads are are seemingly t- truthful, but they're not. And and I, I don't I don't understand them. I, and and who are these people who are running ads on behalf of other people and and then the other people that bring them on don't like shut this down. I was like, so that means if you're not shutting it down, that means you're condoning it. I, I just, I don't know. I just don't get it. And meanwhile, and Lamont's out here just like, I'm just going to say what I got to say about just what I'm doing. And all the attack, I don't see any Lamont attack. Has anybody seen any Lamont attack ads? I've not seen them. I've seen, oh, they call him a liar. They call him this. They call him that. I was like, jeez. These people are vicious. Got no home training. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I just think Bob Stefanowski is boring and dull and out of touch. He's so out of touch. Who are you talking to? You come to New Haven, and what are you talking about? What? <laughs> and who are you talking to? I don't get it. You need a new campaign team. Get you some people of color on that team. Maybe that might help. I don't know. Or maybe you got some people of color on team and you're not empowering them to help you win. I don't I don't know. I just know that your campaign is dreary and your message is dreary and it just seems so disconnected. You're just another rich white man who wants to add governor to their to their to their resume. You don't got nothing else to do. You don't got nothing else to do. Because if you really wanted to make a difference, you could make a difference with the businesses that you own in the communities that are hard, hard to serve. I mean, if you want to make a difference, you know, and not use the governor's seat as a feather in your cap. I, I don't know. I mean, he's just another rich white man, as far as I'm concerned, with, with no real connection to nothing. I could be wrong. I'm OK with being wrong. <laughs> I'm I'm quite all right. You, he's probably the nicest guy. I probably could sit down and have a beer and a piece of pie. I guess I don't know. I just know these camp. The campaign is dreary, and dull, and uninteresting. I was like, "What are you talking about?" You go like, "Oh, this the the Mont, the 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 Lamont 
administration is scandal. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, well, uh, he's raising taxes. Okay. Oh, this is Connecticut, though. You know, you know this is Connecticut. <laughs> taxes going to get raised <laughs> until we do until we do quality property property uh 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 till we do property property reform but you know i probably would like him i probably would like bob, bob stefanowski i probably would you know listen i like a whole lot of people for a whole lot of reasons you know but that doesn't mean i want to be my governor i'm just not convinced i'm not i'm just not convinced you know listen um, we're gonna go. We're gonna rock with Lamont for another turn. That's what we're gonna do. And we'll make some decisions after that. But right now, we're gonna go with Lamont. Why? Cause sometimes the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And right now, the Republicans are the devil. Not right now, since the beginning of time, but. <laughs> For the interest of time here, because I, 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 they, they, to me, and that, what is that other one? That other woman, the is it Le, Le, Leona? She's another one. I was like, you know, it, it freaks me out when I see people like her from Connecticut spinning this crazy stuff. And I'm thinking, how close are we to Mississippi? Like how? And I don't see. No shade to Mississippi. God knows. I just think, I just never think of Connecticut being that crazy. You know, oh, maybe because we kept our crazy, you know, corralled. But now cra Trump has, um, has uh, let crazy out the gate and it's rampant all over the place. <laughs> this This Trump foolishness is like, it's like, you know, it's like vi like a virus. You know, they just, they just, everybody's just emboldened to come out their bag with just the craziest stuff. I saw her ad and she's like, um, and I want to make our border safe. And I'm looking around at Connecticut and I'm thinking, but what is Connecticut on the border? What border are we trying to, oh, you mean the U.S. border? And by U.S. border, you mean some racist practices following in line with Texas and Florida? Is that what you mean? Because I'm, I'm not understanding. Other, why? Why would you say that? That see, that's a dog whistle for the crazies, and I don't like calling them crazy because these people are very serious about their white supremacy. I mean, they're just very serious about it. Because that's all, at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's just at, at the commonest, common lowest denominator, it's white supremacy. I know, I know white people are tired of hearing about white supremacy. And I don't know why they're tired of it. If they're tired of it, then they should stop spilling it all over the place. <laughs> like they should stop trying to spread it. But clearly they're not trying to do that. What they want is people to just let them and not call them out when they see it. And then feign indignation, oh, oh, and white fragility and tears. Okay, Karens and whatever else is out there. All right, okay. So I'm just, I just feel some kind of way about that. 
So if, if white people are so, you know, I, I was in a meeting last night, a board meeting at a, at a well-known arts entity. And so, you know, I, how I talk now is how I talk. And, you know, my, I, I, for me, if you want to build community, I build community. Let me tell you something. I know how to build community. If I can't do a damn thing else, I know how to build community. I know how to get people around the table. I know how to gather people on the porch. I, th- I, that's what I'm good at. I know how to cross, cross, zigzag across this city. I know everybody in some of all the neighborhoods. I know how to do that. What I'm not going to do is drag people to stuff that they don't feel like they are welcome to. That's number one. Number two, I'm going to speak truth to power at any place I go. I don't give a damn if it makes anybody uncomfortable. My job is not to make you comfortable. I'm not to hide it. That's not my job. So when white women stand up in spaces and say, or, or talk around what I just said with this, um, why, I just feel I'm taken aback. Um, that we should take a gentler approach. I'm sorry. Did I did I advocate violence? Did I advocate dragging people by their hands into the into the entity? No. When people say ish like that, what they're really saying is I'm uncomfortable with you calling me out on my lack of participation. Call that what it is. You didn't like the fact that I called out the lack of partici- participation across the board. So you're going to crouch it with, oh, I think we should be gentler and co- nice to blah, blah, blah. Who are you talking to? See, I don't like that covert foolishness. You got beef, say it. If you don't got beef, don't try to crouch it around. I think we should. Oh, because some of us are not comfortable, you know, so, some of us are not on social media and some of us, we, we, we help in other ways. How? Show me some receipts. Show me some receipts. And then this whole foolishness, and this is what I, this is, and then this is the part that I really hated. Well, now I don't feel like this is for me because this is just, this, I, I don't feel like. This is the, my, I was like, you know what? I, our job is not to make this feel like this is yours and yours alone. What you need to do as an ambassador is go out there wherever you live, wherever you call home, wherever you call community and start there. Start there. Because when I hear that kind of talk, what you're saying is this is getting too black for me. I don't see myself reflected in all this blackness and this move to blackness and other voices. White people are good for that. I can't hear other voices. Oh, my voice. Now my voice is drowning. I can't, I can't hear my voice. I'm not seeing my representation. Are you kidding me? Pick up any magazine, watch any TV show. Do you know, all the books that are published in this country, less than 15% are people of color. And when I say people of color, that's black and everybody in them. So when I hear white women 
stand in spaces and say, I don't think this is for me. Why? Why don't you think it's for you? And who the hell are you to sort of say, you got to be catered to because you are uncomfortable and you don't like all the other voices at the table. All that mess got me so mad. I'm still trying to decide what I'm going to do. Because at this point in my life at 59, I cannot, I cannot do this heavy. I cannot fight these kinds of aggressions anymore. I just, I just won't do it. I, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to sit in a meeting and let somebody use language to try to circumvent what I just said or shush me with some alternative language around gentler. Are you? Lord have mercy. I was like, you know what? My nerves. I can't take it. I can't take it. And, 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 and white women are good. White people are good for that mess. Good for it. Listen, and when I, when I say white people, all of y'all don't got to get up in your feelings about it. Because the white folks who know they are down for the cause and are doing the work, this ain't about y'all. It ain't. If you are out there doing the work and you are holding it down for the BIPOC community, this ain't a, this, this don't have nothing to do with you. You know who the folks are that are, are resistant, resistant to the path. So my, my point is this, if you're not willing to hold the lamp, get the hell out of the road. If you're not willing to go with us, get the hell off the bus. Because it makes no sense to be a hindrance. Now you, if you, if you have talent and you are doing whatever, as you say, keep doing it. Just keep doing it. But what you're not going to do is impede progress. And what you're not going to do is sit up in here and, and want everybody to play nice because you are uncomfortable with your inability to show up. Because that's really what's at the heart of this. You ain't shown up for a damn thing. I don't care how many people you sent. I don't care. You ain't shown up. So don't, don't, don't try to, don't try to, you know, backhand insult by saying, oh, I, I, I'm taken aback by this. Oh, I think we should just approach this a little gentler. Why? Because you say so? Why? I, I, last I heard, we're not, we not dueling. Ain't no swords on the table. We just talk it. We just talk it. So the minute that I say, when I call people out, and I don't hold people to a standard that I don't hold myself. I don't. I don't hold people to a standard that I don't hold myself. If I don't show up, I'm the first one to say, you know what? I can't show up for that. I ain't show up for that. I've been a terrible board member. I've, I've been whatever. That's the problem. Nobody want to own their part of the story. They want to give excuses to their part of the story. They want to tell you, well, this is what I've done. I'm going to tell you like Janet Jackson. What have you done for us lately? Because that's, that's the only, listen, listen, there's an expectation and you're not meeting it. So don't get mad at me because you in your feelings about being called out about what you ain't doing. And then you think it's harsh. 
do you understand? We, we, we are trying to do our very best here. And if you can't get with that, get off. Because what I'm not going to do is have these asinine conversations about let's do this, let's do that, let's do that. There's a whole arts, there's a whole calendar over at the Arts Council. Whole ass calendar of events. Whole ass calendar of events. See, this is why, this is the problem I have with people. See, because if you in community, and community could be anywhere at any time with anybody. If you're not plugged in, then you would know what's going on in this town. How come I know? And I don't have I don't have no wealth. I live in New Hallville. I I don't even own my own space. How I know? Who am I? I'm I'm nobody in this town. But I know where stuff is. I know I go to things. I talk to people. I invite people. I got receipts. I put them up this morning. Stop it. Stop it. Stop fronting. It's, and, and tear down your, your defense mechanisms because you're getting called out on the truth. And yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to dress it up for you. I'm not. I'm just going to say it. I, too much for that. Say what needs to be said. I wasn't mean. I wasn't, I'm not angry. I don't know. They love to put that label on black women when we get passionate. Y'all too much for the mayonnaise, man. Too much. Too much. You better start carrying some hot sauce in your bags. Because you're too much for the mayonnaise. Too much. Oh, my God. I can't stand it. So that's my rant this morning. <laughs> These folks have got me, got me hot. I, I, this morning I woke up, I wrote an email telling people, listen, build community wherever you build community. Build it. But you, we got to do that. There's no, I know how this town works. This town works on reciprocity. Go to my events. We send people to your events. I see you in the community. You see me. There's some legitimacy to that. That's some real legitimacy. The only ones that don't do that is a Yale rep. And nobody thinks that a Yale rep is like community theater of any sort. Nobody in this town thinks of the Yale rep as part of community. <laughs> they, they don't even try to pretend they're in the community. <laughs> they don't give a damn who comes. They're like, we're just going to put this on, whoever shows up, whatever. We don't care. <laughs> they don't care. They're not trying to be in the community. They're not trying to be, they're not trying to do any of that. They're the only ones that get a pass. You know why? Because that's not a fight we want to have with Yale Rep. They don't put on stuff that we want to see. No way. Once they might do, what did it, what, what will they do? That damn play that I hate so much that they drag out every few years. Uh, not, not a raisin in the sun, but that's one of them. Native sun. You know? Oh, we get some Negroes in here. Let's raise it in the sun. <laughs> if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Every now and again, they'll let some black playwrights do something. And they've done some stuff. No, they've done it. But for the most part, they're they not sending it in the community that way. That's like we are artistic thing. We do, we do art. You know. But guess what? All the other art-serving organizations know that they got to get it in community. Schubert Theater. They know they gotta they gotta diversify their their audience. That's the, that's gonna be 
tantamount to their survival. They know that. So guess what? You mix it in. You give them some Broadway. You give them some other stuff. You throw it all in. They, they, they could do that. New Haven Symphony, same thing. They are trying to be rooted in a community, and they've done a pretty decent job. Have you seen their board? They got one of the blackest boards in the city. <laughs> the symphony. <laughs> and they've been committed to, to equity and inclusion. They've been reaching out to the schools. Their, their thing was to reach out to the schools and build, build, the, build an audience committed to coming to the symphony at, at, the, at the elementary school level. That, that, that's their forward thinking this. Like, listen, we, we know we're not gonna get them at six, we're not gonna get them at 20. Let's start, let's start at 12. See if we build some, talk to the music people, all the music departments and bring them here so it's not a foreign place, right? They do that. The International Festival of Arts and Ideas, same thing. They went from being a festival that happened in, in New Haven to a festival that is rooted in New Haven and has become very inclusive. And every year you see more in inclusivity. That, ha that had to happen. You see Shelly all over the damn place trying to make sure she builds community, that people see her, that listen about this work. I'm about it. So I, you know, don't talk to me about building community. Don't talk to me about when they had Jelly's last gym at the Stetson and it was the room was packed with black people. They had a Diane Brown had to turn people away. Don't tell me black people won't come out. You know what? They just won't come out to where you are because you ain't never invited them. And if you think that there's no affluence in this town, baby, you are sorely mistaken. So I'm just saying, people need to get real with this stuff. Stop, stop, stop this. Like they don't see, like they don't see, like they don't know. Stop acting like you don't know. <sighs> so some changes is coming. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I guess. I, I, I just, you know, I love being in community. I love it. I love it. There's nothing better than to connect with people. I like knowing people wherever I go. I like walking into restaurants and people know me. Uh, I like, I like, because, and they know me because I come there, you know, not because they see me on TV or radio or some old foolishness, because I go there. I go there consistently. I, I love when I could walk into Canon and they're like, hey, Babs, how you doing? Because I go there. I like when I go to Rawa and they know I like the vegan eggplant pizza. They know it. <laughs> I like when I go to Manhari's and they know I can't have butter of any sort or cheese. They know that because I go there on a regular basis. I like when I go to the symphony and they're glad to see me because I go to the symphony. I, was, I took my kids to the symphony. My kids said to me one time, I know you get tickets to some other stuff. <laughs> And I and I, and the way they said it was as if they had had the conversation prior. It's like, I know, Mom. I, we see all these other concerts going on. I know she doesn't get us tickets today. <laughs> but they felt bold and said, "I know you get tickets to other things." <laughs> as I would drag them to the symphony, I would drag them to the Duke Ellington series, which is still going on, by the way. 
The Duke Ellington series is still going on. And Yale don't get one, Yale does not get one hoot about community, building community and getting people in to see it. They don't care. <laughs> they don't. They're like, all right, whatever. We're going to do it because it's important and people will find it or they won't. You know, they uh, uh, periodically they, they, if it's something really, really keen, they, they, they will run a, um, they will run a, um, uh, a couple of ads in the, uh, in the inner city, you know, cause the inner city is a black ass paper. I don't care what you say about it. It's a black ass paper. Every, every arts organization should be talking to the black community through this medium. It's just it. I don't give a damn if you think, oh, it's just, we just run, it's just, a, it's just um, stuff from the, from the New Haven Independent. And people, people love to say that stuff, right? And I hate when black people say it. There are black people who don't know what the hell they're talking about say it. But I hate it, I hate it, I hate it more when they say it. Because people don't understand. Do you know how many people in this city don't have access to internet? Do you know? Does it ever occur to you to think about who does not have access? Just because you have a damn cell phone and you could pull up stuff on your cell phone does not mean that is a reality for everybody. The pandemic has showed us that. There was kids trying to do their homework on their mama's cell phones because there's no Wi-Fi in the house. See, people just talk crazy because they don't do due diligence to know what is happening in community. The inner city is set up in such a way that we, we knew from early on, from 30-something years ago, that we could not compete with up-to-the-minute news. That was never our forte. That was never our lane. We never tried to be up-to-the-minute news, uh, a, a news outfit. You know why? Because when we started, we were once a month. So we would capture all, all the things from the month and showcase them in a big tabloid form. Remember the big tabloid form? Then we went to bi-weekly because we had enough money coming in and we could do it. And, and the technology on how to do a paper got better and better. Because in the old days, we started 30-something years ago. You had to physically lay out the paper, physically lay it out. You don't got to do that now. You could do digital. You could lay it out digitally. So the front part of the So we knew we were never a, a news organization that could compete with news outlets, you know, hardcore journalists who are out there every single day getting the stories. We knew we couldn't do that. So we understood that we would showcase all the news that we could by and for black people. That was just our purpose. We was going to make sure that the Im images of black people that was happening in this community would get shared across the community. That was it. There was no, there was no, no magic or mystery to that. So um, when we when we went to a weekly paper and we used to have people running down stories and, you know, capturing all those, you know, cookouts and stuff like that. But like anything else, it's very difficult to maintain that level of, of financing for that kind of stuff. So, and then, uh, and so we were always a bare bones team. Every now and again, we get people who want to write for the paper. They come in, they write, they hang out, they put it on their resume, they do six months, nine months, they do it. But we also are members of a couple of Black Wires. For people who don't understand, Black Wires are news, news, news organizations that put out information and stories collectively so that we can all share them. Like what the Register does now, 
with all the news from all over the place and it's just one look. But the difference with us is that each 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 of us black newspapers across this country and there's less than 200 of us um we have our own look. We're not we're not owned by one conglomerate. We're just each individually owned people, papers. So each of us have to make a decision about how we are going to continue to do the work in our community. So the relationship between the New Haven Independent and the inner city is symbiotic. We pick, I pick, I curate the stuff from there that I think makes sense. And guess where it goes? Because it's up to the minute, it goes in the front part of the paper. So when you open the inner city news, the front part of the paper is usually the pieces from the New Haven Independent, pieces from the Connecticut News Junkie, because the Connecticut News Junkie covers political things outside of New Haven. They are Hartford driven. So if we want to know what is going on in the Capitol, I don't have anybody to send to the Capitol to spend all day at the Capitol hoping to catch wind of stories. I, I just don't have the capital for it. I don't have the manpower for it. And I don't have the time for it. But the Connecticut News Junkie, this is all they do. They pay attention to the news coming in and out of Hartford. So I talked to Christine. She's like, yeah, run my stuff. Okay. So we pull from there. So we try to pull stuff that makes sense for New Haven and our readership, the Greater New Haven readership. And that, that's Hamden, West Haven, um, um, North Haven. We try to put the paper in places where people could find it. So that's the front part of the paper. The middle part of the paper is usually stuff that is going on regionally or, or, or across the country, regionally and across the country. So I, I like to cover stuff that I want to know what black people are doing in Oakland, because sometimes you'll see a story that's going on in Oakland that might spark ideas here in New Haven. So people will be like, damn, they doing that in Oakland? I wonder if we could do that in New Haven. Hell yes. Oh, they're doing that in Tuscaloosa. Oh, we might be able to do that in New Haven. Or they're reading about a board of education in Texas and they're like, damn, they having problems. It's like we having problems. Yes, that's how you connect the stories of us across this country. And then the back part of the paper, I try to run international stuff. I try to run stuff from the continent or I try to run stuff across the diaspora as much as I can find it. I belong to a couple of African newswires, but sometimes that information is slow. So that's how the paper is situated. That's how the paper is situated. But if you don't take the time to look and read and understand that without me having to tell you, that's a lot of people get it. That's why when the papers don't get delivered to the burger apartments or over there, or a couple of other places or Tower One or to some of the schools, you know, the Brendan School out there in Westford, when they don't get their paper, guess who they call? And they all they all got me on the cell phone. Babs, I didn't get my paper. We didn't get our papers. The babies didn't get their papers. Uh, all the elderly folks didn't get their papers. Okay. And guess what I do? I put them damn papers in my car, drive the hell over there and get them because this is important to me. And it's important to them. So when people talk about, you know, why can't, why can't? Well, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. We can't, we can't, I, first of all, I can't be at everything. Although Lord knows I try and I can't write about everything. Those days are behind me. So guess what I do? I, I support Lucy Gilman and what she's doing with that arts paper. Because this town has so much arts. It needs a dedicated paper. It needs a dedicated paper. And we have one. Now, the New Haven Independent covers arts, too. And I love that. But they're primarily hard news, real news, time, time, time. Not, 
not that artist news is not real news. I mean, they they are covering what's going on at the board of zoning, what's going on at the board of ed. You know, stuff that we would never get because nobody else is covering that stuff. Nobody else is covering that stuff. How do you know what's going on if, if nobody covers it? Because if you're not sitting in that room, if you're not logging in, because now we can log in, but if you're not logging in, you miss. So you just think whatever is happening, nothing is happening. And that's not true. It is not true. There's stuff going on in the city all the time, all the time. So so Lucy Gelman goes around and she sends a whole, the, the youth, um, the youth journalism kids, they go, they cover stuff. I love it. So that I could pull stuff, beautiful pictures, a wonderful story, and I put it in. And other people get to read that. Who would not log into the arts paper or to the New Haven Independent or Connecticut News Junkie or to any of the wires? They wouldn't be looking for this. Who was looking for what's going on in Oakland or Detroit or Chicago? Who was looking for that? You don't know it until somebody puts it in front of you and you go, aha, now I see. Oh, wow, this is going up. This is happening everywhere. Yes, we have to stay connected. The, the, the inner city is the drum. Has always been and will remain so for as long as we are able to do it. So that's, so that's why I still sit in that chair because I care deeply about how we get information out to the black community. That's all. So yeah, people can say, oh, well, what do you, who do you serve? What are your numbers? And I'm like, listen, you better pick up the damn paper. I'm not gonna spend any money trying to qualify that or quantify that. I know people read the damn paper. I know it. I don't give a damn if people like it or love it or hate it. It is our paper. And I always invite people, you wanna write? You wanna write an opinion? And I get people to do it. And, 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 and I give people a deadline, listen, you want to write an opinion for the paper or you want to write something for the paper or you want to reach me at the paper. I'm not hard to find. People find me all the time. You find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, find me at 55th Street because that's where our offices are. But don't come over there because we lock the doors. <laughs> call before you come. <laughs> call before you come. Call before you come. Just call before you come. So that's what I mean. So, so I know something about community. I, I spent my life in community. I spent my life working in community. And right now I'm trying to be philanthropic. You know, I'm trying to help raise money for, for, the, for the organizations that I care about um, because that's critical. Uh, and I try to do my part. And, I, and I, 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 I'm not somebody that's rich. I just try to do what I can, you know? That reminds me, I got to I gotta re-up my my little commitment to uh, to uh, Long Wharf Theater. Uh, I let them take $10 a month out of my, my, my bank account, $10. But I do it for them. I do it for the Arts Council. I do it for Planned Parenthood. I do it for the Planned Parenthood PAC. I do it for uh, and a couple of other things. So that's like five. So if I do five things anywhere between 10 and $25, Guess how much money that is? Now, I, I'm poor. I'm the working poor. I tell people this all the time. I, I don't say that to to be an asshole or making light of poverty. I'm a poor person. You know, I just, just make ways in ways that I know how to make ways. <laughs> That's it. So, just saying. <sighs> 
Oh yes, yeah, see, see, Barbara Fear is like, I ain't seen last week's paper at the models. That's where I get it. <laughs> We're serious about this paper. And I love that. I love it. So I'm gonna, uh, don't worry. Um, the papers, the paper, we, we didn't put a paper out last week because it, because we are still one of the few people that does um, a tabloid size. And uh, when the tabloid print, and this has only happened maybe twice in the 30 years since I've been at this paper. Um, when the tabloid machine doesn't work and it's done at um, uh, Connecticut Post, which I don't even, is there a Connecticut Post still? But anyway, these machines are still around, but they don't use them except for us. So when they're not working, we are hard pressed. And this, this has only happened maybe twice in the 30 years that I've been at this paper, that I've been manning the paper. Um, so, so that's why I'm not freaked out. Like we'll be back, we'll be back in the game. Um, I think this week the paper, the paper goes to bed today, goes to print today, and it'll be hitting the streets tomorrow. So, so yeah. So yes, Miss Fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, paper coming back, baby. So we just we just missed the we just missed the beat there for the for the week. But um but yeah, so you can pick it up places, Demotos, Edge of the Woods, Elm City Market, uh, Walgreens on Whaley. Um uh, the pandemic has really caused us not to be able to put it in a lot of places. Like we used to run into all the barbershops and the salons and all of that. Uh, but the pandemic um uh, really hurt us because those places became appointment only and they weren't open um, at their usual conventional hours. So so it was very difficult for us to sort of figure out a way to get papers to them, uh, to that. But now that things are looking like they're coming back, opening doors and letting things in, um, you know, you'll start to see the paper back in its old haunts, you know. But that's 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 the story of the paper and that's why I do this work. That's why when I tell you I know something about community, I know something about community. And I, and I think about things that other people don't think about um, and, and how to be in community and how to support community, you know, not lip service. I, I don't, I don't pretend I live in New Hallville. I live in New Hallville. I don't, I don't, I don't pretend to like serve on a board. I serve on boards. I don't pretend any of that. You know, I don't pretend to eat out and go places. I actually go out and go places. I just do. So, you know, that's, that's just the way we are. So, you know, if you want a better New Haven, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put some effort into it. And listen, there's enough stuff that you could get involved in. Swear to God, <laughs> this city, cities, and boards of anybody anywhere in the world. <laughs> you, you want to save some trees and a specific tree at that? There's a group working on that. You want to you want to get rid of invasive plants? There's a group working on that. You you want to clean up the sound? Oh, there's a group working on that. A bunch of groups that's working on that. So I'm I'm working with Jonathan Barry Barryman right now. We are we are creating a, a club called Art Across Denominations because we want to see more church folks come to to the theater and we want church folks to come to the theater not to see church things like not just come see a gospel play let's come see a play come see a play so we're working on that we couldn't get it together for jelly's last year i said some sorrows 
But uh, we couldn't get it together for Jelly's last jam because summer is a little challenging to, to pull everything together. But we're going to be ready for the next season because he sits on the board of New Haven Symphony Orchestra. And uh, and they want to be a part of community, too. So, uh, and they are part of community. So we were just sitting around on the porch talking about how, how we got, well, you know, we need to get more people. Because, you know, Jonathan believes the affluent people, there's enough affluent people here that go to stuff. And I, I know, y'all know, the Churchwells, the Desiers, um, you know, the Graves. I mean, there's all kinds of people here uh, who slip in and out unnoticed. Um who, who are called to do a lot of things. But uh, I, we, I want to get some of this church community involved in going to the theater and going to hear live music and, 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 and see how they can apply it to their faith life. I'm not trying to get them out of their faith life. I'm trying to get them to expand their faith life. That's what we want to do. So look for that. So we got to do, we got to do um, arts across the domination, you know, then we're going to pick and choose some stuff um, that we can get groups of people to go. Not not unlike what Mike Twitty does. Mike Twitty takes people to arts things all the time. He gets on a train with folks. He rides bikes with folks. He knows how to build community. And he does a really good job. There's people like that around who are doing all these little things. You know? So I was like, so talk to Mike Twitty. Let's talk to Mike Twitty. Mike, let's get some people to come to the theater. You know, arts, arts across denominations. And that means everybody. This is not, not relegated to race, creed, or color. Just, you got a faith. We want you to come and share in the gifts of talented people uh, 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 in theater. Come, come see it. Just come see a play. And then if you want to go to dinner, I'm not going with you, but go to dinner and talk about it, discuss it. And then maybe your pastor will preach about it on Sunday, or you'll talk about it in Bible study. Or you could talk about, do you know what I mean? Like that's how you expand. That's that's what I want. That's what I. This is this is this is the New Haven that I am I I imagine and then I dream about. And I just can't talk about. It. I got to be about it. And God knows I can't add another daggone thing to my plate. But I'm gonna do it because as long as I got breath, I I still have got a commitment to do some things, you know. So so that's a big deal. So Jonathan Berryman and I, and I think Sean Hayes, we're all going to just get together. And, and it's not going to be a heavy lift. We're going to be like, listen, this is what we're doing. This is what we want to do. And come with us. <laughs> we're going to be like prophets for the arts. <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to be magi for the arts. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. And you know, the Bible is chock full of artists. <laughs> Chock full of artistic expression. I mean, the burning bush is a damn good example of a production. What? <laughs> so, so watch for us as we get geared up. We gotta just do it. We just gonna make it a. We just gonna do. It. We're not gonna put a whole lot of, you know, a whole lot of rigmarole. We're not gonna meet and all this other kind of stuff. We gotta. Hey, let's see. If we get some people to come to this thing. And you know, Azaria will work with me over at the Schubert. And 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 because she has been working working with folks in groups for a minute now since so she left Long War, she was trying to do that over at Long War, but now she's over at Schubert, and uh, and she's doing the damn thing. So so I know I got support over there. 
I know I got support over at the symphony. I'm about to create some support over at the Long War Theater for this. And I don't and I don't want them to do a whole lot of talking and a whole lot of let's graft this up kind of mess. Nope, nope, we're gonna go straight organic and in the streets. Arts across denominations. We're gonna be the prophets of arts. That's what we're gonna do. That's my mission. And if I could get if I can get 10, 20 people to come to the theater, and I'll figure out a way to if they can't pay, we'll figure out a way. We'll just figure it out. You know, maybe they could pay something. Pay something. Because when you when you buy a ticket to the theater, it does something to you. It makes you a part of the theatrical experience, not just sitting in the theater. I mean, I love free stuff. Don't get me wrong. God knows. I try to go to as much free stuff as I humanly can. But there is there is a there is a connection and a commitment to when you buy a ticket. You know, when you buy a ticket to something that makes you part of the sustainability of the effort. And, and that's what we want. We want we want people to feel like this is their theater and they are an invest and they are investing their money into it. That's what I want. I don't want much. <laughs> ah. Oh, you you mean the political service of Bob Stephanopoulos? Oh, girl, I spent the first 20 minutes talking about that foolishness. I don't know. These rich white men coming in here talking about I was poor by the river. <laughs> Jesus. If, if another white man comes in here talking about I, I worked all my life. My peoples came over here on the on the ships, and we didn't have nothing <laughs> but white skin. And Lord have mercy. <laughs> it was a time. It was a time. <laughs> if I hear another white person with that story, I was an immigrant. We had to change our name. Really? Change your name, babies. Did you change it back after you got your wealth? No? All right. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take a break because I've got guests coming up. We're going to talk about the film after Sherman. And uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So stay tuned. Come back in and uh, I'll be back. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> Do you know if the kids have to get the COVID vaccine for school? My five-year-old starts kindergarten this year. It's not required, but I did get mine vaccinated to be on the safe side. There were several cases of COVID in the classes this year, and I'm happy they all stayed healthy. I just keep wondering if the COVID vaccine is the right thing for my child. I understand fully, and from what I've seen, there's been no major issues with my friends or their children. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe and effective, and it improves people's lives. Thanks to this vaccine, there is less spread and fewer symptoms reported by those who get infected. Now everyone over the age of six months can get it, and no appointment is necessary. Find out more at nhvvax.com, nhvvax.com. Make summer safer. Protect your family from COVID-19. Anyone over nine months old can get vaxxed. No appointment necessary. Visit nhvvax.com, that's nhvvax.com, for everything you need to know. I'm New Haven Health Director Marissa Bond. If you or your family have COVID-19 symptoms or think you were exposed to someone with COVID, quarantine, stay home, and get tested on day five if possible. If you have COVID, isolate, wear a mask, vaccinate, get boosted, and tested as needed. Those are the best ways to stop the spread of COVID. 
At this time, we are vaccinating everyone ages five and up. Stay safe, New Haven. For all of us. Hi, this is Babs Rawls-Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. I want to dance all night, Monday morning, and I'm sick of this job already. This spell is for Brianna Taylor. This spell is for Brianna Taylor. This spell is for George Floyd. This spell is for George Floyd. This spell is for Nina Weaver. This spell is for Freddie Gray. This spell is for Eric Gardner. This spell is for Michael Brown. This spell is for Michael Brown. This spell is for Tamar Brown. This spell is for Tamar Brown. This spell is for Vincent Ramos. This spell is for Melissa Ventura. yellows and reds, beautiful hair, kinky, curly, straight and dressed, been tricked, robbed and fed so many lies, it's time to unite, not compromise, our families destroyed by death, despair and hate, we're strong, we got faith, it's not too late, we will expose the ugly, corrupt system, aimed at our colors, race and religion, we're fed up if you didn't detect it, we're fully woke and will be respected, the revolution was televised, now the whole world knows, no more hiding the truth behind closed doors. Be sure you hear us, no need to fear us. Just know when we say every single day, Black Lives Matter. Black lives, black lives
systematic racism You got to set us free I've identified the problem And the whole wide world now knows Rise up today in heaven and earth Cause there's no more tragedy shows My life is not for you to take Just because you wear all blue There's something I must say to you And the second word is you I'm looking for some good results for my liberty I'm looking for some good trouble the way that things should be All those fathers dying So many mothers crying Babies wondering why All they hear is lies it's really got to change No more lives rearranged Peace on my mind trying to explain what can't be defined and for so long it's been so strong suddenly it's clear now that I can hear these love notes the ones that I wrote oh these melodies there are some memories And these love notes I found in an old coat Mean something new All because of you to lean on can you hear me come near me I've been dreaming my angel will come but I never expected that you'd be the one now I found you I wanna stay around you suddenly it's clear now that I can hear 
in your cloud We walking tall and proud Seeking love and harmony And just moving on up in unity Changes start with us With hope, respect and trust Got to be treated equally So we can react naturally So now we see the light No need to fuss and fight If somebody lets you down There's no need to wear a frown Healing's in our view Cause happiness starts with you It takes all of us to begin So we can breathe again Why don't you lift me up So I can lift you up So we can make it better We got to share this space With a human race We gotta get up together second hour of love baths love talk i'm delighted this morning welcome back professor thomas allen harris <laughs> how are you babs it's good to be here it is lovely to see you and welcome um john cesary john cesary golf john is actually not on yet but john's father uh reverend golf is 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 here oh hello reverend golf nice to see you thank you for joining us Oh, I see. I see. Um, uh, John is uh, logging mm -hmm. in now. Hello. Welcome. Can you see us? We and, see and you. Reverend Goff, you're, you're muted. There we go. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. So you have to get your dad unmuted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you just have to hit the little, uh, the little microphone button. 
Not the camera, the microphone button. <laughs> I know, Lord, we had to teach our parents how to use the technology. <laughs> no, it's still off. <laughs> like, don't hit the, don't hit the, don't hit the camera button. Hit the, the microphone. I think I might be there. Uh, Norma, Nora, can you unmute? Um, let's see if I can do it. Can hey, John, good to see you. Hey, great to see you. Well, what we'll do is, uh, Nora, if you get, if you have a chance, uh, or or uh, Nora or Harry, yes, thank you. Thank okay. you. Now you'll go. click back on <laughs> it. it. There we go. <laughs> okay, so after Sherman. So I've been reading all I can about the about the film, um, and and I, I think I have a clear I think I have a better understanding of, of of what it is. So it it seems like it is a homage to a, to the Geechee culture through history, through a father and a son um, that takes that that sort of tells us that our history as Black people in this country is unfinished. I don't know. Am I am I close to what? The I'll way you wanted that. people to think about yeah. that—that that works. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you tell me about this film, John. Okay. Now they both gone. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I know it's a it's a technological challenge. All right. So Professor Thomas, you tell me what is your relationship to this film? Sorry, well, sorry. Well, that's I, all right. I kept defaulting to my um, earplugs. I get it. <laughs> all right. Uh, so I'll let John John start, and I can talk a, a little bit about. Well, I'm you know John um, uh, Goff and, and his father Reverend Goff are coming to um, to New Haven to uh, show the film um, uh, next next week Monday evening, and that's Monday the twenty. I believe it's Monday the twenty sixth. Um, as part of um, a co, uh, co-sponsored event between the Yale School of Divinity, mm-hmm. of which Reverend Goff is an alum, and also uh, my class, um, Family uh, Narratives, Cultural Shifts. And so we've been working on bringing this uh, illustrious team with this amazing story for about six months. So I'm really glad that they're going to be coming, and we wanted to let the local community know about it. And so uh, I'll let I'll, I'll let John tell you what After Sherman is about. Yeah, Babs, I actually, I love your um, synopsis. It's, a, it's an unfinished story of American history told through um, the lens of my family and, and the folks in the low country. And so what originally I set out to be just my own creative um, expression and homage to this place that um, my father has told me throughout my life is my home place, despite actually being born in Connecticut <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and having to navigate sort of that throughout my life. <laughs> but but really it's the, it's the journey of, of, of just um, honoring community, honoring faith, honoring, um, you know, our, our ancestry as um, descendants of, you know, West African people. Okay, so who had the idea first? Was it was it Reverend Golf or was it you to sort of capture this this story, this part of history? 
<laughs> it definitely wasn't my dad. <laughs> I, I was, think, he, was uh, he your reluctant partner? <laughs> no, no, he was a willing partner. <laughs> we, 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 we had many interviews over the years. It was an eight-year process, and I'm pretty sure I interviewed him no less than 16 times. <laughs> but every conversation was an interview, was a preparation for, you know, this film. Okay. All right. So, so tell me, how did it, how, how, how did you know where to start? And Reverend Golf, um, how eager were you to participate in this process? Well, first of all, I was more than happy to uh, participate because I thought it was a worthwhile uh, project, which I'm very proud of uh, John Cesare and seeing this through as he journeyed uh, throughout the history of his family. Uh, starting with my parents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. Over 150 years of having uh, not only property in South Carolina, but most certainly the history. This this film, uh, after Sherman allows uh, individuals to look through the window pane of history of Black Americans in the low country in South Carolina. But it's a, it's a, it's a microcosm of what takes place throughout the Americas. And that is uh, one lived history to be shared and to gain uh, insight and knowledge as we prepare a uh, present generation uh, for the future and to understand uh, one's history in order to make progress for the future. Oh, I love it. So, so you know, um, John, you grew up hearing these stories was there any time in your life where you're like, you know what, I don't really want to hear another story? <laughs> and then, and then, what was the moment when you said, you know what, this is my story. Let me let me capture this. I, I think it was almost the inverse. I grew up listening to the voice of my grandmother and other people in the community. And when my grandmother um, passed, I recognized that sort of this tonal quality was leaving um the earth that and 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 i really wanted to i re i took photos of my grandmother but I, I really wanted to start recording um voices of people and start so i started working with my cousin cousin bunny our cousin bunny rodriguez who, who's a Gullah uman uh was a folklorist and um culturalist um in her in her own right and um and I, I wanted to 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 record this because I knew it, it wouldn't be around forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and Gullah, and Gullah, the Gullah culture and the experience and the language and the tone and the music, that is very um, specific. Like, you know it when you hear it, at least for a mm -hmm. lot of Black folks who know folks in the South. You know it when you hear it. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we used to laugh at people like, oh, you geechee, geechee, geechee. But as I've grown up, I realized um, that it is it is as close to the uh, African diaspora as we are ever going to get in this country in terms of a culture that is preserved from beginning to to now. Um, how does that make you feel or do you think of it that way or how do you imagine the culture staying uh, relevant and protected? Well, I, I think everything we've been told is almost a lie because, um, you know, the, the written histories that were disseminated weren't necessarily the truth. 
and and people forget that there is an unbroken chain of memories you know that there are you know traditions um that you know may not look like what the western world honors as being encyclopedic but you know certainly deep deep knowledge and you know it comes through the lens and prism of faith like um i had a friend a theologian who used to joke that you know everything we consider american christianity has been touched by africanisms has been touched by the presence of black people in america and transformed it it is no longer the same you know like that spirit that shout that praise that's something that's uniquely um through the african spirituality that you know we retained and shared with others we came in contact with so professor allen how do you how do you how do you teach this how do you share this part of our our culture and history in the classroom how do you tell people about how do you tell students about um there's this community of people it's a very small community i i imagine uh how do you how do you remind people that this is important well you know the class uh that i teach um that uh, uh um uh the film is is a part of this semester is called family narratives cultural shifts so it's looking at filmmakers who mine their family archives and stories to shed light on larger social movements. And so part of the class is looking at films and the ways in which filmmakers tell the story, mine their archives. And, and I have to say, you know, the, the, um, the archives that, that John and his family and Reverend Goff has generated and preserved have just been amazing and the way in which John has interwoven these personal uh, family archives with larger public stories, both archives he's found, it's just you know, really poetic. It's, it's, it's a journey that, that not only takes you into a, a kind of personal history, a regional history, uh, uh, but also a national and a, and a universal kind of story of the poetics of this particular place in this particular journey and that's what's really exciting and i try to get my students to actually engage in those similar kinds of journeys through a series of blogs that happen over the course of the uh of the year and they also go into all these different archives and re-blend their own family archives their family photographs with public archives and so it's a very generative kind of experience and um and they can see in this experience that how deeply they're connected with other people who both look like them and share personal story and who don't look like them and you know that they didn't necessarily think they shared anything with you know and and i have to share a personal story um in terms of this particular film after sherman and that is yeah and this is something that you know john and i've known one another you know for um for almost a decade i think and yeah we we were even in brazil together at the uh, afro-brazilian film festival which i think you should definitely sh you know share this film with if you haven't already submitted it but you know, i didn't know about the you know intensity of the gala Geechee history and you know my grandmother comes from uh, santee and you know she left when she was 10 years old and when she left she left Mother uh, Emmanuel Be A.M.E. Bethel Church, Emmanuel A.M.E. Church, and moved to New York and joined First Bethel A.M.E. Church, which goes <laughs> back to the 1800s. And so, 
So, um, so I had this relationship with, but you know, but I, but the conditions, I didn't have a chance to really interview her about her past, and and the little bit I did, she refused to talk. She never went back to after leaving. You know, we uh, never went back to South Carolina to Charleston, and um, uh, with the exception of one time after my grandfather died, just before she died. And and none of the family went back. And so there's a little this trauma around that. And so to see this film and, you know, and to I, you know, I see this film, but I'm also like loving the fact that the film celebrates food, you know, and um, and uh, all these different cultural kinds of things, because it's 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 um, it's just it, I'm recognizing certain things. Mm. And uh, there's a cookbook, actually, Galakichi cookbook, cookbook. And I was reading that cookbook in addition to, you know, as I'm preparing uh, to receive John and Reverend Goff and, uh, at, at Yale for the, for the screening and the discussion and realizing how much my grandmother's cooking was uh, Gala. And so I'm, I'm really anxious to speak with you guys about, you know, these different subtle things, you know, in the film, which is so enriching for me. Um, I, I read a piece that said um, that I guess in the opening of the film, Reverend Goff is, is na narration is at the beginning of it saying there is a birthplace and there is a home place. And uh, Reverend Goff, would you expand on that a little bit? I, I think I know what you mean by that, but I want to hear you clean well, it up for me. <laughs> well, birthplace is most certainly is a linkage between where one was born and where the oral tradition intersects with history, uh, not only through faith, food, and future, in terms of teaching uh, the culture of our people, which, which shows uh, how one has survived uh, through some traumatic experiences. And there are some things that one should never forget, because it allows us uh, to become our better selves, and how do we survive? For people who have survived coming from the motherland to the Americas is a miracle in itself. But when one understands the people of faith, the faith allows us to rise above our circumstances. And I believe that after Sherman can bring about a greater understanding about where we were, where we are, and where we are headed. And that must be an ongoing educational opportunity for all, the young and old alike. So we can bring about what King and others and many of us call the beloved community that allows us to not only see humans as humans uh, beyond the color line in which we so much identify individuals and try to pigeonhole them and how they should behave, what is the projected uh, attitude of one's because one look at one's skin rather than the content of one's character and achievement uh, to bring about transformative positive change. And that, I believe, uh, after Sherman would allow students and those who view it to get an insight in terms of uh, what, what makes us uh, the kind of culture and the kind of people that we can celebrate. And just because we celebrate our history and culture does not mean that we will negate others, but most certainly we should be able to uh, trace our history, celebrate our history, 
and also plan for the future. I like that. So I, like a lot of people, um, John, I saw High on the Hog. Mm-hmm. And it had a whole segment on the Gullah, Gullah culture. They, you know, the, the the film took us to the Gullah lands and we saw people and we, we saw the cooking and we saw the celebration of that. My favorite film of all time is Julie Dash's um, Daughters of the Dust, which I still revere as the most beautiful film ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, do you feel like there is uh, an, a growing awareness or a desire to to understand this culture and to protect this culture? Um, I think there's a growing awareness, but it's, it's connected to the larger search for identity. You know, um, I, Thomas, um, Professor Harris touched on it. You know, my dad talked about it in terms of like these linkages of um, community. Um, and and so I, it's... Um, <laughs> It's really the fact that over, you know, 60% of Africans arriving to America came through the port of Charleston. So that means the majority of people who are descendants of enslaved Africans in America are, in one way or another, connected to Gullah Geechee culture. My mother, born in Ohio, family from Kentucky, other side of her family traced through Alabama, back to where? To Charleston, you know? and so. There is a retention, there is a commonality, there are shared values, you know, there is culture. And and actually when I was teaching, which was one of my impetuses for making this film, was um, I had a young black woman in my class and a young white man asked her, um, is there even such thing as black culture? And, and she said, no, not not other than food, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I like had to wow. go tables to intervene you know? <laughs> it's like that's that's the disconnect you know like the, the project of colonialism was successful we know that black people in america are also subject to the you know the ramifications of that project and but but it's not all loss it's all not for not and um you know i just had to go mine a few archives and 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 share them. And I think beyond the film, beyond the frame of the film, the collection of materials that I've gathered, the oral histories that were conducted, many of them never appearing in the film, um, create a a larger repository of of knowledge that I hope others will be able to access at some point. And, you know, it's unbroken. It's an unbroken chain. Julie Dash, Daughters of the Dust, you know, after Sherman, it's all a continuum. So tell me about the title. Why, Why the title? Because I'm a cynic and um, a, a <laughs> and um, I loved um, Ross McAvee's um, Sherman's March, you know, um, which was heralded as the first commercially successful um, documentary, you know, theatrically re- released documentary, and and it was just beautiful. And and here he is tracing his lineage and his story, like you know, sort of aimlessly through the Low Country and there's one scene with black people and I was just perplexed. I, I love the film. I was just like, man, how do you manage not to see no black people? I'm like, all I see are black people. It, you know, it's the, the county was over 85% black. So it's like, you know, like that, especially in the 80s. And so like that part of it, you know, like it's like we got to color in the rest of the frame and the rest of the picture. You know, it's not just that which has been um, able to be, 
you know, composited and shared and packaged as a as a film. Mm. So I, go ahead, Reverend. Let me, let me say this just for a moment. I think also the documentary uh, calls into question for one to uh, have critical thinking. Uh, it raises questions that needs to be answered uh, individually and collectively and as a community. It also forces those who happen to be in the academy uh, where you have the uh, participation of, in the arena of ideas and to make sure that one can reaffirm that which we may think, but we need to bring some academic scholarship to make sure that we provide an opportunity for others who follow us or who are participating with us in creating a table where everyone has a seat to share uh, experiences that allows us to have a more comprehensive presentation of what our history really is and that is not uh, subtracted by subtracted from by those who have the ability to write or publish information for the wider community. I don't think it's it raises questions that need to be answered. And the way I believe that the classes that is being taught at Yale with the professor and this film allow students uh, to engage in that kind of educational pursuit to ask questions, even if they don't come up with an answer right away, but they can strive uh, to um, receive answers from others and from themselves. Mm. Right. And Professor that's Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that's actually been the biggest criticism of the film is that I didn't answer American racism <laughs> or like, why is there what? American domestic terrorism <laughs> or white supremacy? People are like, why you didn't solve it by the end of the film? I'm like, did y'all solve it? Because we had to do it in 90 minutes. It, it should have been done. No, it's, it's unresolved. It is unsettling. That's experience. <laughs> Uh, well, it's still unresolved. I mean, it's unresolved. And, and look where we are. We're having these ridiculous conversations about critical race theory. Right. And it has just people captured people's... Yes, people, it has captured people's imaginations in a ridiculous sort of way. And so, yes, it's still unresolved. And it and it only comes up because we, we have not had these kinds of conversations about, you know, what has happened to enslaved people in this country and to tell the truth about that. So, Professor Thomas, did you have people in your class who had no idea of the Gullah culture? Um, well, you know, we have not had that class yet. That's coming up. So oh, okay. the okay. film is actually showing in the, um, at, at Yale, um, the Humanities Quad Theater um, on Monday. And so it's going to be showing on Monday at seven, uh, seven, seven o'clock and all are welcome. And um, I'm not sure, Babs. How do we let people know through through the show? Um, I think we're. I well, I've posted it up in in our social media site, so it's up. Okay. It's, we have it in on our social media pages. Okay. Okay. So I'll, I'll try to put it also in the in the link. But the um um the the so the students are going to. It's going to be interesting to see how many students were aware of you know, Gullah Geechee culture, and not only aware of that, but also aware, as John mentioned, of the way in which it is grounding for 
black culture, you know, across the United States and and the origins, you know, in, in the 90s, I went to Brazil because I wanted to experience another way of seeing Africans in the Americas. And I was interested in, you know, condomble and African retentive kinds of things. And and so and it drove me to come back and see and find material that my grandfather shot in Bethlehem Church. And so like when I watched this film, it makes me think about, well, you know, well, what is you know my responsibility for going back to, you know, to Charleston, which I've never been to, you know, and um, and so so it's it's very I'm really looking forward to the conversation that comes out of this experience, you know, in terms of having the film there in the public. Um, the public uh, screening, the public Q&A with Reverend Goff, and there's going to be another um, Yale Divinity alum there as well. And, um, and both the public, but also the class and, and the class that happens the next day. You know, a lot of documentary filmmakers really shy away from spirituality and religion, you know, mm. except to kind of critique it. And, and so this particular film, you know, is embracing spirituality, but also having uh, um, and, and, and looking at the, the history. And I think it's, it's going to raise a way for us to uh, maybe more of a vocabulary to talk about um, navigating representation with regards to spirit. I mean, I, you know, so as, as, as Reverend Goff said, you know, there's so much um, uh, pain and, um, and unanchoredness in in the country, in terms of and the world, in terms of you know who we are and a relationship to a kind of a grounding within spirituality. You know, however people uh, choose to make that journey, and and I think this film through the poet, both through the poetics, through the relationship between a, a father and, and a son, and and his your mother's also, I believe, in the film. Um, allows us to begin to look at it in a way that is not dogmatic, but in a way that is both questioning and um, and, and also generative. And so I, I think that we, we it, I mean, it, 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 it kind of gives us, it quenches our thirst, basically. You know, I, so I, I don't think you could talk about that without, I mean, it makes me think about Ebo's landing and the mystery and the history around that and what's truth and what's spiritual, and what's legend. So uh, I, I just find all that kind of stuff fascinating and uniquely black. Like that's such a black <laughs> kind of vibe. So I love it. So um, John and Reverend Goff, talk to me about when y'all were doing this, how, what was it like to be in conversation with each other about your culture and your history and, 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 and how does Connecticut play in there? <laughs> I mean, I know you were born here, but like, how do you, how do you, how do you add that into the story? Which there's a lot of black people in Connecticut, contrary to, to popular belief, and there's a lot of black people here who have um, Geechee cultural roots. So I will say that. So talk I to me about that. I thought most of the black folks in, in, in New Haven were in or in Connecticut had the, a North Carolina relationship. Is it also South Carolina? Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I used to live. I used to live downstairs. Used to live upstairs from some folks that were Geechee. Mm. And, matter, uh, matter of fact, uh, right adjacent to the Yale community, there's a street called Golf Street. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> there, and what's there the history is. of that? 
<laughs> and where Bethel Amy Church is is nearby. Yes, right, <laughs> right across. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you know it well. And, and and the Amy Church as an institution for me, you know, it starts as the Free African Society, you know, and and, and a greater project and a greater experiment that people don't understand. And and again, that continuity and that continuum. That's why we can shout out the Bethels and and the Mother Bethels and 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 you know the Emmanuels and Little Emmanuels. You know, like th there's a reason why they exist. Like it was safe passage. You know, it was it was for the protection of women and children, you know, widows and children was the Free African Society because they knew that this country would not take care of them, you know, like that, that they did not care about their loved ones. And so who would do it other than your community and that space in which you also invest and participate in? And so that is why you, you have that, you know, connection from, um, you know, throughout the Carolinas, by, my grandparents actually met in Philadelphia in the 1930s, you know, and moved back to Georgetown. So it's like, this is endless, you know, yeah. and, uh, and folks were recruited to come to Connecticut, black teachers from HBCUs in the South, yeah. primarily exactly. in the Carolinas to teach an influx of um, black children from the South and, and from the West Indies, you know, and and that is how you get that, you know, whole generation of folks starting in, you know, with the great migration. Well, one of the one of the it's things part of it, I guess. <laughs> one of yeah. the things I'd like to point out is uh, you question how was it for uh, father and son to work on a project like this uh, with a sense of pride, uh, knowing that the uh, oral and written tradition is being passed on. Uh, it lives because we are repeating it. Uh, I shall never forget sitting in uh, the office of the governor of the state of Connecticut. His name was Governor O'Neill at the time, and Maynard Jackson came to Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And he was sharing the history about how he came from Atlanta uh, to, to Windsor, Connecticut to crop tobacco. And that the tobacco that was cropped out of Windsor, Connecticut, was noted for some of the finer tobaccos for cigars. And my point in raising that is, is that because of our culture has expanded throughout the world, we have an opportunity to teach folk who are in high places about their own surroundings and how we have impacted it. And I thought at that moment when uh, uh, Maynard Jackson uh, shared that story in the governor's office. I was saying, hmm, a good teaching moment. Because we all <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that's that's Reverend King's story, too. He came, yeah. he came up when he was about 16, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah Every yeah. summer he would come and, 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 and work in Windsor in the tobacco fields. Crazy, so right? You, wow. along with Professor Harris and John and others whom we impact, on our journey through this life, have an obligation uh, to share our story and to make sure our voices are heard in a very constructive way that allow folk to learn from our experiences as we will learn from theirs. Mm. I like that very much. Um, so before I let y'all go, um, how do we preserve the culture? I mean, I, we talk about preserving the culture, but and we have an obligation to tell these stories. 
how do we do that? How do we do that in a in a world that is so anti right now? Although the pushback from people of color is we're going to celebrate and we're going to share this stuff. But the pushback is we don't want to hear it. We don't want to see it. Even if they don't want to hear it. I I think even when I preach, even if they don't want to hear it, you still got to preach anyhow until it is not necessary. And I don't see that in the very near future. But the point is, how do we preserve it is through documentary, through uh, classes that are being presented, not only in our HBCUs, but also that larger community. They need to understand in all levels of government and corporate America, uh, our responsibility is to expose them uh, to information that will help them bring about a better uh, community, whether it be corporate uh, in the community in which we live, and to have documentaries and to have programs like yours, and to continue to write books and to films. We must make sure we preserve that history in our own museums. You know, We need to make sure that our voices are heard in public education where they're trying to root out all traces mm. of our history. Uh, we must have a voice in making sure that they um, retain that information that can be shared, not just with black and brown students, but white and others who may not have the knowledge of our culture. I like that. So John, before we go, I'm gonna give you the last word. You want people to, when they leave this film on Monday or, or wherever it's shown moving forward, what do you want people to take away from this? I know you cannot control but if you if you could have your way, what what would you want people to take away from this film? That <laughs> um, that love is a powerful thing, and and, and it, it it's endless and infinite, and 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 the love that we find within ourselves has been planted and seeded by many many generations before. And, and what a blessing it is to to be a beneficiary of um, that love. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Thomas Allen Harris. It's a pleasure to see you again. You too, Babs. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Hopefully we'll see you there as well. I'm going to do my best. I'm gonna do my, <laughs> yes, I'm going to do my best. I don't want to miss this. Thank you, Reverend Goff. It is, it is my absolute pleasure to speak with you. And Thank uh, you. John, thank you. I can't wait to see this film and 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 maybe get a few words with you at the at the at the screening. If and possible. the screening's gonna be uh screen is beautiful. It's beautiful screening, beautiful sound. And so it's gonna be, I'm really excited to be able to host this visit with with John and really give the film like a really beautiful uh, presentation and the discussion, as you could tell, is gonna be completely live and 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 beautiful as well. Well, thank you all so much. It's a piece of art. It's also, it's also a film. It's a cinematic experience. So, you know, deeper than the themes presented in it, I want people to, you know, love and experience, you know, just the power of that form. Okay. Thank you all so much. You, thank I, you. I, I'm looking forward to seeing this, and I appreciate your time this morning. All right. Y'all go thank in peace, you. and I will see you all on Monday. Blessing. <laughs> Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a good afternoon.
All right. All right, Nora, Harry, play me out. I'm on my way. The link is to the on the chat, but it is up on our social media. So I hope people register and come and see this wonderful film. I can't wait to see it. Thank you all for uh, another great day. Happy Wednesday, y'all. I'm going to go marry some people. I'll see y'all.